everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Nealis and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight, we have with us a returning guest, Luke Jensen, who just finished a remarkable season with World Team Tennis, taking home the championship in one of the most dramatic fashions we've ever seen in this competition. Luke has basically contributed in every which way you can to the sport of tennis. Whether it was his successful professional career, which included winning the French Open doubles title with his brother Murphy, to coaching a collegiate team, to commentating, and now coaching the New York Empire. He hasn't lost one ounce of energy after all these years. Please welcome back to the pod, Luke Jensen. Luke, what's up, man? You still on cloud nine? I can't believe you invited me back. I thought I tanked the ratings for you back the last time. So I, <laughs> I had to do something big, which is like, you know, win, help my team win a half a million dollars on one decisive point. Yeah. Get- yeah. I mean, you're lucky. I mean, I had to take, there has to be some distance. This is kind of like a bad breakup because you know, I'm a Chicago guy. I could have yeah. had you on like the next day or two, but I needed, I need well, a little bit of time. Um, shout hurts. out Chicago smash inaugural season. They were great. Um, I texted you, I think, that evening or the yeah. next day. I said, as a Chicago fan, you just crushed me. But as a tennis fan, this was a huge win. Just an unbelievable, unbelievable final. Well, I'll tell you, you know, Chicago's in its first year. You know, they've had World Team Tennis franchises in the past. But to have the lineup that cares so much, what I call your 23 on that team, Sloan Stevens, who came through with just like, getting huge balls. I mean, she was aching to get in that fifth set, that decider. And then Bethany Maddox-Sands, who's your kind of a glue guy, made everybody have fun. I think you look at Brandon, who's going to be a, a future top 10 player. That guy was just on fire. And, of course, Rajiv Ram is the ultimate professional. Uh, played at Illinois, really got that program off the mat. Um, and has been a tremendous professional. And then Jeannie Bouchard, who was – you know, finally finding her game once again was reflex volleying stuff off of her face. You yeah. don't mess up Jeannie's face. Yeah. But that was that was our plan in the fifth set in women's doubles was to attack her. And yeah. that was the set that we really, you know, we liked that formation with, with Bethany Maddox Sand serving, not a big serve, but you know, something we could handle and going right at Jeannie. And um and I, I just, you know, it's just it was one of the most exciting moments of my professional career, considering so much was on the line to come down to one point, win or lose, is going to bring the home the money, the title, everything in, in Chicago. I hope the fans in Chicago really admired that team. I know they oh. want to bring home a, a title. Uh, uh, Brandon's already committed to next year. Bethany wants – everybody's coming. Everybody wants to come back. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, so I want to talk to you, and we're going to talk about the ebbs and flows of that final in a, in a minute, but I want to talk about the very last point, because both Kamal and you were mic'd up a little bit, yeah. but, you know, let me ask you, did you think Bethany was going to move? Did you tell Coco to rip that ball inside in, or that was just yeah. something I feel on her? So, you know, we lost in the finals last year. We had a two-game lead going into the men's doubles last year, and, I, and when you lose, you learn. If you're a real competitor, if you want to stay in life, not just tennis, but life. And I thought a lot about what got away from us last year. And I felt I didn't do enough as a leader of that team to slow things down. Things got out of control for us. And 
this time we had a deficit and we're just clawing our way back in. My, I was scoreboard watching that entire fifth set and even the fourth because um, I had Coco come off the court in the second set after Mick saying, my, I jacked up my ankle and you've got to get Kim ready to go, who had been practicing underhand serves for the whole week, us trying to get her on the court. Everything above Kim's shoulders, Kim Kleister's, um, was bad. She had a grade two sprain in her abdominal uh, area. And so we didn't want her to play, but like she's wanted to, she's like, whatever the team needs, I'll, I'll serve underhand, whatever. And, um, and so, she played great, by the way. When she was healthy, she played unbelievable. She beat Sloan. She beat Kennan. She beat Daniel Collins. She beat Puig. She came in down 3-1 against Puig. She pulled that out. I mean, 66-1 to at the U.S. Open. That, if you wanted some, bet, some money on something, that's a really good bet. Um, was undefeated in mixed doubles with various partners, with Jack and Neil. Uh, ladies doubles, she was a huge part. Uh, didn't go undefeated, but, I mean – she was the best player in the league um, until she got hurt. And so there was a lot of, in that fifth set, kind of scoreboard watching, what, what can we do? So leading up to that, there was just so many little decisions that had to go right for us. And, the, uh, and then we get into a tiebreaker. And the level of, of Grand Slam quality, again, Bouchard is finalist of Wimbledon, finals of the French Open. Everybody else were Grand Slam winners you know, millionaires stepping on the court, and it mattered. It was a half a million bucks on the line. And then Sloan's like, they're 23, like hitting winners, hitting aces. The only thing I did, honestly, was make sure, and I feel my job, my role on, on world team tennis with these professionals is to empower them to go for their shots, to go for winners. Different from college, that's more developmental. Different from juniors, where you get, let's put the ball in play, everybody. It's not, you know, beat ourselves. Here, they know their game. Can I empower them to go for their game? So when we get into this tiebreaker, you know, it's like everybody was hitting huge shots. Melikar at 5-all hits a huge return to give us 6-5 up. And then Sloan Stevens hits a 120 down the Texas T-bone for an ace. The only thing that shot in my mind was, like, let's not rush into this. Coco wanted it. Like, you know, Coco Clutch Vanderway wanted it. And so to me, it was let's just slow everything down and make sure we want what we want. And in, in, Mel, in, in Bethany's case, Maddox Sands, any good doubles player, extraordinary doubles player, is going to pinch everybody from the Bryan brothers and Johnny Mack. And I mean, you don't stand there and let the action happen around you and wait for it to come to you. You're going to get yourself involved, whether it's a full poach, whether it's a half a step. And so from Sloan hitting such a big serve, the point before, Bethany's going on the sense where there's going to be another heater. Now, Sloan, she doesn't want to hit a second serve, right? So she takes a little off. Bethany leaves a little early, and then, to be honest, Coco just sits on that return. There was no, like, look for this, look for that. To me, it's empowering Coco to go for it, and she comes up with the process. For me to get into that decision-making process, I think is a bad play. This isn't football. This isn't basketball. 
It's not my job to call the play. If there was more time and they ask me, what do you think? I will give them my opinion. But tennis players are independent thinkers. As a young age, you strap on the racket back. You go out by yourself. Maybe there's mom and dad. Maybe there's a coach, even in college. But for the most part, you're an independent-minded thinker that has to make that call. So all I did was call a time, you know, who wants it? Coco, it wasn't a doubt. The, the ball had yet to stop in the backstop from the previous point, and Coco's going, I got it, I got it. And if you notice, everybody just kind of stood away except for Kim Kleisters. You want a Hall of Famer in that huddle or whatever, whatever she said. And then, you know, history, you know, again, you're looking for inches, millimeters. Millimeters. Millimeters, man. That was one-eighth, the back one-eighth of the line. I still have it on my phone, and I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> Incredible, it's, it's, man. Incredible. That's where, if you want to make tennis interesting, you give them deciding, decisive, you know, point ending, you know. I'm looking at that, and because it wasn't an audible call, I just thought it was good. Chicago's calling it out. The human yeah. eye is calling it out. Right. And so – when they reviewed it, when Chicago wanted to review, the only thing that kept on going to my mind, if there's an audio glitch, if there's a technical audio glitch where it was out, but the machine, for whatever reason, didn't call it, I'm going, if we lose 250 grand on this thinking audio, you know, like, I don't even know what, I've already lost last year in the final. I don't, if you go 0-2, I can't even imagine what kind of pressure you put on yourself. But to me, to have at that point, remember, we were going into golf. We went 15 yeah. minutes into that golf tournament, and we had 1.125 million people watching that product. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 45 years of equality, diversity, inclusion, and some of the best talent currently in the world competing at the highest level. Five strong women, smart. I mean, everything you want into pressure, and they all produce. Nobody lost this. Our game right. is based on who makes the most amount of errors. Nobody missed a shot in that fifth set when it mattered most. The substitution. Sloan is begging to come in, calling Coach come out. Please, you know, please let me into this thing. And you just – and everything just, just kept on going. And unfortunately, there had to be a decisive point, right? you know? And so to me, it's... I, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is that it went... You, there were no other points that could have possibly been played. That's amazing. Like, like the odds of that happening right there, it was the very last point of the entire tournament that could possibly have been played. There were no other points left. <laughs> there were 66 matches over 200 hours of broadcast on CBS platforms, Tennis Channel, ESPN platforms, uh, Facebook Watch. We had sponsors in the millions like supporting this in a COVID situation where the world's sideways. It's social things going on. And we have you know minorities on these teams and things. Everything that could have went sideways and backwards came to this moment where someone like Coco Vanderway, whose uncle played for the New York Knicks, whose grandfather played for the New York Knicks, represents the orange and blue. And for a Vanderway to step into that moment and hit that shot and win a world title for New York, I mean, it's storybook on so many different levels. 
and, and Chicago's sitting there while we're accepting the trophy, showing amazing sportsmanship. And, you know, I don't care how many grand slams you win, you don't play that format ever. It's the only situation where it comes down to one swing. Yeah, and I know we've stressed that we've spent a lot of our time on the, on the last, the fifth set, and especially that tiebreaker, but the ebbs and flows of that whole final was crazy. I mean, you got a guy like Jack Sock, who in these short sprint, short type of matches on the doubles court is absolutely lethal. And he comes out, men's doubles, mixed doubles, and you're up pretty good, and, and the Chicago fans are not feeling that great. And then all of a sudden, and you referred to him earlier, Brandon Nakashima totally flips the strip of this match and comes out. He beats Jack 5-0. Now, I mean, it does say 5-0, but there were a couple deciding games there. Um, now, that strip now is flipped. We got all the momentum. When I say we, again, it's because I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm from Chicago. Chicago. Um, and we got women's doubles coming up. We have women's singles. Like, Chicago's starting to feel pretty well there. I mean, the ebbs and flows, the, the roller coaster emotions that you must have had as a coach probably going crazy as well. You do a lot of scoreboard watching. My, you know, going into that, that third set after mixed doubles. Remember, in the mixed doubles in the second set, right after we had won in men's doubles, mixed doubles, we, when they sent out, the home team sets the order of play the night before. And when we saw that Coach Kamal put Jack one, two, and three with singles being last, knew, knowing Jack had played more sets than anybody else. He was giving me three sets every single night, singles, doubles, and mixed. He was just a, a hoss. And so I put Neil in, in the lineup, to play mixed doubles. But it was a cloudy day. It was the first real cloudy day, windy day, a little cool. It was a noon match. But Jack comes to me and says, if you need me, it's not that hot. I can go. So it's honestly five seconds before we're serving. Neil plays the deuce court. Jack doesn't play the deuce court. Is allergic to the deuce court. He's the best in the world in the ad court. So if I was going to make a switch, it had to be then and there. Yeah. So I pull Neil, throw Jack in. That's huge for us because Coco and Jack were 4-0 in the season in mixed doubles yeah. as soon as Coco jumped on. So then we get those two sets. We go to the third set, and, you know, Brendan couldn't be – Roger Federer wasn't going to beat that dude. On that set, you know, I mean, the, the guy, I mean, we played him twice earlier in the season and he beat us. He, he was clearly getting better and better. We had a couple of strategies against him. Looking back, I wish I would have gone more serving volley when things started to get away from us. But this was the last set Jack was going to play all season. Right. And, you know, you don't think the guy's not going to, I think he missed two shots in the fifth game of that set. He didn't miss a ball up to that point. No unforced there. So it was a perfect kind of like third set for them. And then Coco's in the training room getting taped. Yeah. Because her ankle is jacked up and she's about to, and I don't know how many innings I can get from Coco. And I've got Kim. I was like, Kim, I don't care if you got to kick the ball in or throw the ball in. Like you've got to get to your ground strokes, anything below the shoulders, like you can still dominate, but she's playing Sloan Stevens. So it's not like she's going up against some chump. Right. And it just – Coco comes down, gets us three games, right? Keeps us in there. So if there's one thing Coach Kamal will, won't be able to sleep well maybe for the rest of his life, 
is when he made the order of play, you put the fifth set women's doubles against a team you had lost 5-1 to earlier in the season in Malakar and Vanderway when they were with San Diego. Bad move, right? You don't yeah, have Yeah, I mean, a couple to... things. A couple things. One, Jeannie and Bethany have been, had a really, really good season. They Absolutely, did have that but it's matchups. It's matchups. It's matchups, I get. You, you and, get, and going you get back – yeah. Going back to going back to what you said about potentially sitting Jack Sock and believe you have way bigger playing and coaching pedigree than I'll ever have, but you have got to go with your horse in that case. And no disrespect to Neil because Neil is a tremendous yeah, doubles yeah. player. But if you sit Jack Sock, who is absolutely lethal in this type yeah. of format, and things don't work out in your way, you're yeah. going to be second guessing. You're not going to be sleeping at, at night. Yeah. Um, now, going back to your decision, um, now your statement with, with Bethany and Jeannie, yeah, bad matchup, agreed. And they did lose to them earlier. But again, like – But it last... wasn't 5-4. It's 5-1. You know, it's 5-1. And you need – in that fifth set, you need someone who can – need a server. That's why you have to have a guy in there. Put, put mixed doubles. Put men's singles. You got, I mean, someone's going to hold their, Rajiv's going to hold their, you got Evan King that can come off the bench and give you some quality right. minutes. You need someone to hold. You need someone that can get an easy hold in you. I get it. Somewhere in that deal. Remember, in that fifth set, which is even worse, we're down by three games. They hold. They're up four games. So Coco's serving now at love 30. She was down, I think, 15, 40 in that game. That would have been five games. Yeah. So what I'm, you know, I mean, there was, I mean, this, this format by Billie Jean King 45 years ago is so perfect because even if we would have lost, we'd have won three of the five sets. I know. I know. They were, the commentators were saying that. The commentators were saying that a few times. Yeah. So it's an, it's an unbelievable format. Like you said, it's, no other, no other event, you know, in the world is like. Yeah. So it's time for us now, big picture at World Team Tennis. We we're talking to the NC2As now. Like yeah. this format needs to. If you want to make it revenue making in in college tennis, instead of six courts, it's one court. You know what I mean? And you have rivalries, Michigan, Ohio State on one court. How amazing that would be. And these are uh, sprints, man. Five game sprints, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's over in two and a half hours. Yeah. It's over. There's no six-hour matches, three-and-a-half-hour right. matches. These student-athletes can – you cut down your expenses. I mean, now's the time to do it in the Olympics. We'd be the only co-gender sport that's competing for the same gold medal, team. So you can imagine if you had, like, you know, Serena Williams and John Isner versus, you know, whoever – you know, Roger Federer, you know, co-gender. This is perfect for the Olympics. Um, so in, in this, we have now something very special to show what happens when you put this much pressure with the best minds, character, competitiveness in the world together. Sloan Stevens locked in, man. I did not want to face 23. There and, were so many Grand Slam champions yeah. that participated and the ones that didn't. I know they've seen this. If this format comes up again, they're chomping at the bit, man. They're not going to want to miss out on this. There were so many Grand Slam champions that participated. The other thing is, too, also, is that compared to the rest of the tour where you have to win your money, you got to win your match, everybody got a salary. So even though, you know, there's big bonuses, at least I know for this month, 
I don't have to win every match to make money. I've got a base salary, and obviously I can work on my game. We're at one Greenbrier Resort, practice courts, you know, and a lot of good things going on, lots of amenities, golf, you know, off-road racing and stuff yep. like that. So <laughs> lots of cool things to do in the, in the situation. Nobody got tested positive, over 800 tests, and everybody did their role. A couple of people went rogue. Um, but listen, if you break the bubble, you're out of the bubble. Yeah, let me, let me, let's talk about that a little bit because, again, I had Carlos on recently, and, you know, there was no gray room. There, there was no gray area at all. There was no wiggle yep. room to mess around. If you, if you left, you, you were gone, and, and that happened to one player. Um, would you, would you, are you in favor of maybe having this in one site going forward? You lose the home court advantage type of speak, but I mean, everybody in one area, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty sweet. It's very special. So remember, it all comes down to what you said, Grand Slam champions. It comes down to stars, right? No one's going to watch if you don't have stars. So I think you can do a hybrid. There's been a lot of talk from players and then the, you know, Carlos and the ownership. And to me, my input, initial input, and I want to study the numbers more from what do the sponsors want? What, what does DraftKings want? What does Geico want? Because they came in with no third quarter spending and they were able to shoehorn in sponsorship dollars to make this thing fly. So to me, what do they want? What do the players want? I think in Olympic years, so every two years, you can have the traveling thing. So you don't lose your Chicago fan base. Or Why? Because you're not going to get Sloan Stevens, who's an Olympian. You're not going to get Jack Sock, who's an Olympian. You're, you know, they're going to go to the Olympics. So you can do kind of the next tier down player that maybe, you know, isn't going to get into the Olympics. And that's what we were kind of looking at this year. Uh, with with when I draft didn't draft player when I was signing players like Lisicki and Cavetta they weren't going to make their Olympic team but they're world class and so I think you can do that in the Olympic years so you keep your your interest in your home base but then on those other years you can have it at one on the west coast one on the east coast come together at at a location and then play, duke it out for the big bonus money. That yeah. that's a version, but I think we have another thing, which is we have to be more than a summer league. So right now we're putting together the world champion New York Empire versus a World Team Tennis All Star team. So you can imagine the best talent from World Team Tennis, the Williams sisters, the Bryan brothers, play against the New York Empire, the world champions, in New York or somewhere where there can be fans. That's in the fall. Then you go to the All-Star Weekend, which is right before Indian Wells. So it's on everybody's mind. Oh, it's World Team Tennis. Oh, I look forward to the, the World Champion All-Star Challenge. I look forward to the All-Star Weekend. I look forward to the Pro League. And then we got about 150,000 rec league players right now. I need to personally double that. I need to go to the Chicago's and the Orange Counties, San Diego's, and see where our community leaders are and get them going. I already talked to Southern California High School that this year in COVID, where it's going to be this format for high school tennis. And so reaching out to the grassroots, reaching out to the rec league, the high school league, the NC2As, and getting this format of no ad scoring, of co-gender, 
of it's two and a half hours and you're done. Yeah. So there are a lot of options for us and a lot of momentum, um, to be perfectly honest, to really launch this to go to a bigger level. Because when the Olympics isn't on, we can get flown. We can get the Bryan brothers. We can get those Olympians that don't have the Olympics but are looking for a nice salary, a nice place to train before they jump to the U.S. hardcourt season. Yep, perfect. And, um, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Coco Vandaway and Nicole Melikar were late additions to your team. They were not on your original roster. So uh, kudos to you because those two obviously came, came through. Um, I know you got a million things going on right now. I, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight and talking to me about this. Um, like I said, I, I, I could have had you on right after, but I needed a little <laughs> bit of distance. But um, you know how much uh, I enjoy talking with you and listening to you whenever you do. You have so much energy. You've, gone, you've given uh, you and your brother, your whole family. Um, you remember your sister played at the University of Kansas. I'm, I'm a yeah. University of Kansas alma, alma mater. So I'm a big fan of the Jensen family. So uh, you guys are so great, and you guys provide so much energy and give so much to the sport of tennis. Thanks so much, Luke, for your time. I appreciate it. Rock, shock, Jayhawk. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon.